Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview Sam and Noah from the New Orleans bass band Naughty Professor. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today we have Sam and Nora from the band Naughty Professor with us, sir. Sam, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks yeah. so much for having us. So I guess we'll start with Sam. Sam, tell us about yourself. And then we're going to Nora. Oh, absolutely. So I play drums in Naughty Professor. Uh, we met as a unit in college in New Orleans at Loyola University. I've been playing drums since I was about 10 years old, grew up in Austin, moved to DC where I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts and just have always had a passion for drums and have been making a living at it for about 12 years down here in New Orleans. Okay. And Nor? Yeah, so I, um, I grew up in Vermont I actually played drums as like my first instrument and then got my first bass when I was 12. Oh, yeah, I should have said I am the bass guitarist in the band and that's what I play currently. But so I've been playing bass for about 18 years. Uh, moved to New Orleans when I was 19 to attend Loyola. And that's where I met Sam and all the other guys from Naughty Professor. And uh, I guess I got here, I think, a year after Sam. But, um, you know, been been grinding down here since with the band, you know, Doing tours, making records, doing freelance gigs down here. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great place to be a musician. Seems to me. So, were all of you undergrad students at the time? Yeah. And whose idea was it to actually form a band, and how did you guys actually start? So, um, we kind of started just as like a jam session, first or second week of school. I think like before classes had even started. I mean, there were a lot of you know young excited people there like you know ready to meet people and ready to try to make something happen and a lot of bands were forming like kind of immediately um and actually the first jam session we had i think i knew actually i don't know if i knew anyone in the band but they just saw me with my bass like hey you got a bass like come play with us we're looking for a bass player and we jammed and it went well and um you know we kind of just kept it going which is which is wild to think that now it's been over a decade because Probably like 50 bands were formed that fall semester and a lot of them didn't last very long because, you know, people change a lot from age like 18 to 30, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so how old is the band right now? The band is uh, like, a, I would say 11 and a half. We, we formed in fall of 2010. That's right. And actually, I wasn't the original drummer. I was at their first show. Uh, I, I liked their band before I was... I was a fan before I was a member. I'll put it that way, you know. Uh, and their first show, if I remember correctly, was in the basement at, like, the student union at Loyola, right? A little club they called Satchmo's at the time. I don't know if they still do. Um, and I, I had always really liked what they do. They kind of have a... Songwriters have a really cool philosophy the way they approach the tunes. And, and it was something that I was immediately really excited by. So uh, I wasn't there at the very beginning, but I kind of was, you know, you if were. that makes it easy. And then how did you become the drummer? Did the guy drop out or did you just... Um, I think it was a variety of factors. Danny was the previous drummer and he was going to pursue farming a little north of New Orleans with a close friend of his. Farming? and Yeah, farming. Yeah, yeah, agriculture. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. They... They started running a, a running a CSA where they would, you know, take fresh vegetables and stuff like that into New Orleans. And I, I think there were a variety of factors that led to him leaving. But at, at the time, Noah and myself and Nick Elman, saxophone player in Naughty Professor, were in a different band called Crooked Culture that was more hip hop focused, things like that. And and. It was it was also musically diverse, but more on the, you know, there was a lot of lyrics. There was more on rap and hip hop side than anything else. And we had just been working together doing that and worked well together. 
so it made sense to to bring me into Naughty Professor and kind of catch me up to speed there. Okay, and before I forget, because I know I listen to your music, I even watch some of your videos, which we'll get, I have some questions on, but tell the people the type of band you have and the setup you have. Yeah, so we have three horns that are trumpet, tenor saxophone, and that's John Colbreth and Ian Bowman, respectively. And then Nick Elman, who I just mentioned, alternates between alto and baritone saxophone. And then we have guitar, Bill Daniel, and then Noah and myself on bass and drums. So it's six of us. It's mostly instrumental. When I joined the band, it was all instrumental. And we kind of were basing a lot of what we were doing on... New Orleans music history bands like the Meters or some of the brass band tradition, but but really modernizing it with electric instruments and a little bit more of a jazz mentality, I guess I'd say is one way to say that. But we've also just had a general interest in, in six guys who are really interested in a lot of different music. We've worked with vocalists. We've worked with different instrumentalists. We've come to do a lot of different stuff with the band. And and we very frequently nowadays, he's kind of like our, our seventh member, play with a guy named Sam Coslin who plays keys and sings with us a lot of times. So that's, you know, that that's... We're, we try to dip our hands into a lot of different areas musically, so it's hard to define. But uh, really, at the end of the day, it's it's a bunch of guys who like to write tunes and have... A creative outlet where they can be expressive within a, a place that involves both improvisation and organized uh, jazz and instrumental centric music. Okay, when I originally first heard of you guys, though, it was because somebody sent me a video of you guys like four years ago of Stray, and Dave was yeah. singing. David, David, right? It was David or Dave. Yeah, yeah, was singing on it. So how did that happen? Just out of I'm curious about that personally. So we, um, we've known the Revivalist guys for a long time. Actually, Sam did a tour subbing for their drummer maybe before he even joined Naughty Professor around yep. the same time, quite a, like almost 10 years ago. And, um, you know, for a while, they were kind of like uh, our big brother band, we would call them. Like they would take us out on tour to open with them. Um, you know, we played with them in New Orleans a bunch, played with them in New York, like Austin, Texas, a bunch of awesome places. And um, they were all just like really big supporters of our band. I mean, I think I actually, I think a lot of them, us met them because they like Kate were coming to our shows and we're like, oh, you guys are a cool young band we're excited about. Um, so they were like very eager to just kind of, you know, give us whatever guidance they could. And when we told uh, David Shaw that, we were planning this collaborative album where we were going to be working with vocalists for the first time. Uh, he was maybe the first person that got on board with it or one of the first. Um, and that song has been a huge blessing for us. I mean, it is, no, I love. I don't it. know, infinitely more popular on the streaming services than anything else we've done. And it's, br it's brought us a lot of fans. There's actually a lot of revivalist fans that come to a lot of our shows because of that song. So it's, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great thing for us. And I'm glad that that's how you found out about us too, you know? Well, at least the people listening, I suggest you start with that because most of their album music is something that I believe is something they kill more live because you're just not going to be able to catch that whole environment of what they're doing on a sound recording. And, and I also, to that point, mm -hmm. check out In the Flesh. In the Flesh, excuse me. That's a, a live record that we made in Nashville and only one of us knew that it was being recorded that night. So it really is one of those things where, like, you'll hear some of the mistakes. It's more like an actual real live show. It's not a bunch of live takes taken from around the country that all got kind of mixed together to become one live record, so to speak. This is actually one straight all the way through show without being edited. We mixed it and mastered it, of course, but like, I'm even remembering some huge mistake I make at the end of one of these songs. Like, that's the point. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter because you get that live energy and it's something that to get a closer sense to what it would be to see us live, I definitely recommend checking out In the Flesh. So none of you knew it was being recorded and then you decided to release it? 
Well, we were looking at doing a live record at the time anyway, and we had been recording, you know, a handful of shows on different tours. And this night, we had been, it was one of the last shows of this tour. We were playing with a band that are good friends of ours, but also people that we really admire as musicians. And, and we were just ready to bring it. And the guy, Bill Daniel, our guitar player who had been handling the recording, said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and ask the, the, sound in, the sound guy, the sound engineer of the venue, if he has recording capabilities, let's do that. And I'm just not going to tell any of the guys. Let's go, go out there and still have the show the way we would have the show. And we were kind of going back, listening to what we might want to use to make a live record. We we're just like, dude, let's, let's just use Nashville. Let's just use Nashville and make that it. Let's keep it simple. Okay. Well, that one I have to check out. That one I unfortunately didn't listen to. But I know your last EP, Everyday Shredders. Oh, nice. Okay. First of all, drum moment right here. Sam. Okay, friends. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Okay. <laughs> you took that hole over in the middle. Then you brought them back in. And then that's a show where it's like, I could see you guys just taking turns, just wailing out on it. Yeah. Oh, you're talking you're talking about fiends. Which is what's uh, funny is what's funny the is title. Ian Bowman, who wrote the song, said he was gonna call it friends, but then he misspelled it and just liked the way it looked. So that's why was, I believe that's the story for why it was called fiends. Oh um, yeah. See? Learn something new. Nice. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Fiends personally is a better name for the song just because it has such a <laughs> wild, crazy energy to it that uh, I, I like the name Fiends. And we all like to challenge each other in this band, not just ourselves, but each other. And that's one of those where uh, Ian Bowman, the songwriter for the song, definitely gave, he gave all of us a challenge, but I love the challenge that he gave me with changing time signatures and crazy hits and a drum solo where they're kind of the drummer at the end. You know, they're just playing the quarter note pulse. If, if you go back and listen to that tune, at the end, they're just basically playing quarter notes, the band is, and I kind of get to do whatever I want. So it's a unique perspective where the drummer doesn't have to be the timekeeper. And it, that, that's a fun brain space to put your place in. It's your, a great place in. to be a drummer. Yeah. So yes, I was really feeling that song. So everyone uh, at least listen to that EP. And before I forget, because I fanboy on that song, uh, tell me about your latest EP. Um, so the latest EP is called Good Things. Um, I would say it, to me, it feels like a follow-up to Everyday Shredder, whereas before Everyday Shredder, we did Identity, which was the collaborative record featuring David Shaw and Charlie Tuna and lots of other amazing guests. And that was kind of us going in like a bunch of different directions on every song. And Everyday Shredder was kind of like, let's get back to like the music that the six of us make together. Let's get back to to putting out music that's, that is like close to our live show and close to our kind of what we what I feel like is the core of like what we really do well. Um, and good things, you know, it, I would say the songs are in a in a similar style. It feels like kind of the answer, except like identity, it has guests. So this is actually the first this is the first time we put out a completely instrumental thing that has that has guests. And good things is three songs. There's a guest on every song. Uh, the single Rush Hour, which was released on March 18th, features the amazing Weedy Brahma on Djembe. Um, New Orleans-based artist who just put out an incredible uh, debut record with his band, Hands of Time, that I would really recommend everyone check out. Um, the second song features the amazing and uh, wacky sax player, Skerrick, uh, who is Seattle-based, but is in New Orleans all the time. He's, you know, worked with Les Claypool. Um, he were, was telling me he worked with, uh, is it David Gilmore from, like, Pink Floyd? He's done some very big like kind of rock stuff, but then he also does some really kind of weird jazz. Uh, what's, what's the way to describe it? Kind of like frantic, manic. I don't know. It's very, uh, he's, he's quite a personality. Um, and then the third song features Sean Martin um, from Snarky Puppy, uh, from Kirk Franklin. I believe he's played with Snoop Dogg, you know, Dallas, Dallas uh, keyboard legend. 
Um, so, you know, and those are all people that we've had the opportunity to collaborate with, like on stage. And uh, it was really awesome to get to, to get to actually, you know, lay something down on wax with them. So what made you choose? And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and lastly, it's, you know, this, I guess this EP was started before the pandemic, but it definitely feels like a pandemic project to me where like we had, we had recorded, I think all of the songs ourselves, but we didn't necessarily know that there were going to be guests or who the guests would be. And like, once we started to kind of regroup, you know, a few months into the pandemic when we were like, all right, like, let's like, get back to trying to do something here. Um, you know, we kind of put this in motion and I think one of the, you know, maybe it would have happened at any time, but that was actually a really great time to collaborate with people who would usually be really busy all the time. Cause you know, for the first time ever, everyone is sitting at home looking for stuff to do. So it was a, it was a cool opportunity to reach out to these, these people we've known who are so talented and so busy and then being like, Oh yeah, I'm not doing anything. Like so it was mostly remote tomorrow. on their part. Yeah. Okay. I believe, I guess Weedy came and recorded in uh, our guitar player Bill's studio in New Orleans, but Scarrick recorded uh, remote in Seattle and Sean recorded remote in Dallas. Okay. And do you prefer doing that for projects? I think it's just about mixing up the collaborative process as a whole. Obviously, there are great, great advantages to working with the person in the room. We did a lot of that on Identity, the collaborative songwriting process of being in the room with someone and really just honing an idea and polishing it and, and inviting somebody into that space is, is really cool and has incredible benefits, of course. But there's really something to be said for how someone plays when they get to be entirely themselves and there's not that outside force and there's nothing, you know, it's still collaborative, obviously, and they're still playing something appropriate to the material in front of them. But you, you know, without being in the same room, it's, it's they're just able to approach it a different way. You know, um, let's say like, okay, so Leander, you were saying you're, you're a drummer, right? Like that maybe mm -hmm. the difference between if I'm playing with a live band, then I'm reacting a certain way to all the musicians there, right? But if I'm playing with a track, I'm not necessarily reacting to the track, but it enables me to play with a level of freedom that I wouldn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily be appropriate if I was playing with a live band. I throw a lot of crazy polyrhythms in there just to see what sticks, you know, because I'm playing with a track. I know that it's going to stay where it's at or you know th this is just an example of the way energy can be different and i think that mixing it up is a great way to do that on identity some of that was remote some of it was in the room a lot of it was in the room actually but on this one both because of the circumstance of covid and you know travel being restricted and all of that but also because we we just want the opportunity to work with these people and there's enough benefits to this style of recording that there's certainly no reason not to work with these people you know doing it in in this in this way still makes a lot of sense and, and there's pros and cons to both that i would agree with okay yeah I, I would say i think it's kind of at least uh theoretically always better to be in the room but you know we've like for identity, we recorded a lot of it during Jazz Fest because that's when all these people were in town to play gigs. But then I remember, I think one of the songs, like we had a gig at 2 a.m. that went to like 5 a.m. Then we had a studio session at like 10 the next morning. And so, I mean, we made it work, but it was also like, it was a lot to pack into a, you know, a small amount of time. And I think for a while, I think we felt like we had to be in the same room with someone. Like we needed to play live with them. And recently, I feel like we've realized that sometimes just the logistics of doing that are so tough, especially if you want to work with people who don't live in your city. So, you know, and like Sam said, there's something about, you know, them getting to be in their own space and take their time with it and not even have us there that I think in some ways can, you know, maybe take away their thought of like, oh, what do they want me to do? It's like, oh, we just want you to be yourself. So, you know. Well said, no. Thank you. <laughs> okay, one other question I need to ask or get into. 
So you're an actual college band that's still together. I want to hear the problems you both faced individually, at least keeping it together. That's a good question. <sighs> yeah, it's really a testament to the people in this band that we have kept it together. It's a difficult thing to do. There's no sugarcoating that, man. You know, you're in essentially a marriage with other people and you're in, it's, it's very emotional, but it's also very business oriented and it's very life driven and, and you're facing, you know, the, the weight of your own decisions and the weight of a collaborative group's decisions at the same time. And that, that's a really, it's a difficult thing to process while continue moving forward, especially when you're in a band that can be doing gigs that, you know, you're, you're wondering exactly if this is how long you're going to have to keep doing these style of gigs. I'll just put it that way. You know, Wait, no, no, no. What do you mean by that? I mean... Gigs where you're not getting paid well enough. Yeah. Okay, what's wrong with that? You can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but sometimes it's not just about the pay. Because sometimes, I, I don't want to get into highly specific stuff here, but but sometimes you're on the band, I'm sorry, you're on the road with a band that you really should be opening up for, and it makes a lot of sense, and you potentially have a ton of crossover fans, and it's something that could grow your fan base to a degree, that the fact that you're making, I mean, almost no money, doesn't see, seems like it doesn't matter at that point, or... or the pro of how many crossover fans there may be outweighs the, 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 there's a lot of nuance to how you, how and why you take those gigs. But at a certain point, it feels like there's kind of not, you know what I mean? Like you need to make your life work one way or another. And I think it's been, you know, we, we've all had individual and collective struggles with all of this, but we found a way to, make the business work for all of us and make the band work for all of us. It's expressive for all of us. Everybody writes. Everybody has a priority on developing their personal voice as an instrumentalist. And then from the business side, we have been able to, and, and it takes honing it and, and you know, having those, those fights, but understanding that everybody respects each other at the end of the day while you have those fights to know that like, we can find a version of the business side of things that will work for us. It may not be exactly what all of us envisioned, which is a, a wild thing to even think was the same at any point. You know, we're six different people. We may have had different visions to begin with, even if they were similar. But we will find a way to make the business side work in a way that we can all understand how to make it fit into our lives while having a level of freedom as instrumentalists and self-expression as artists that is that is really unique and I, and I think something special that we've been able to build. Noah, I'm sure you have some stuff to say on this as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, just being in the band from, you know, college age to now we're all about age 30 or around there, you know, it's like so, there's so many changes that go on in like that period of your life, you know, and... Um, as priorities have changed, I think one of the challenges has been like, how do we how do we keep the momentum going and feel like we're not like moving backwards at times, you know, which I think is probably just like impossible. You know, at some point in a relationship that long that you're going to feel like, oh, like we had some momentum and now we don't or whatever. Um, when we started the band, you know, one thing that a lot of people told us was like, oh, you, you know, just get out there and tour and kind of like it'll work itself out, which... I think that we gained a lot from that. I mean, we got so much better once we started touring because we were playing, you know, I don't know, 100 shows a year or something. And like a lot of growth came out of that. But I also think, you know, the industry has also changed so much since 2010 when we formed. And especially with, you know, the rampant social media and stuff, it's like, you know, I think maybe that was a business model that worked back in the day of like, you just go play in every little city and like the country and like eventually you build a following and then you can make a living doing that but it feels a little bit to me like now 
now with people aren't necessarily like going to their local music venue to find out about a new band. You know, they're finding out about new bands on Instagram, TikTok, Spotify, whatever. So I think, like personally, I felt like you know we had a lot of momentum going touring for for quite a while, and then it felt like at a point we hit a wall. And maybe that was just more for me personally, where it was like, okay, we've we've been devoting so much of our time to this. It's been getting incrementally better, but like we're still. I mean, the expenses, the expenses of being on tour are a lot. And I mean, another thing is the longer we toured, the more we wanted to be comfortable. Like, of course, at first we were sleeping on people's floors, like never spending money on hotel rooms. Then, you know, after four or five years, it's like, okay, we need to sleep in beds, you know? Like, <laughs> um, so I think, I think, yeah, I guess one of the challenges has been, um, you know, the finances growing as quickly as our, like, as our ambitions and as our desires, as we get older to just be a little more comfortable. And, you know, the, the glamor of like sleeping on a floor and, you know, for a month at a time, that was lost after like two tours, you know, that was fun for a minute, but, um, we actually stayed with some very nice gentlemen in Alabama that had, um, some cats with a bunch of fleas. And I think after that gig, uh, like five or six years ago, like a bunch of the band had like flea bites. And in my memory, that was kind of the breaking point where we're like, okay, now we're just going to, <laughs> spend some money on hotel rooms if we have to. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good, okay. <laughs> I remember that very well, Noah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it was part of the night was fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I there, go ahead. I'm sorry. Part of the night is always fun. <laughs> yeah. But it comes to be too much for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm I'm really grateful that we've made it work regardless of any of that. I mean, you're right that 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 got old, you know, pretty fast. But there is something about, like, it's amazing the ratio of really good shows to really terrible shows. And you can still have high morale. You know, you can have one really good show a week on a month month-long tour, which ends up being you know, a ratio of one to four or something like that. And it's amazing that it can still feel really good and push you forward for a while. But as Noah was saying, you start realizing that you can tour smarter, target the areas where the shows were, oh, we had a really good show here. And now we're seeing some of our analytics say that we actually have grown a fan base here to some degree. So maybe we could go back just there and we don't have to hit the four places where we didn't have good shows on the way, you know, and, and okay, especially, so, oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. So for now, how many tours, I mean, how many shows do you do per tour versus back then? I see. That's, that's a good question. I think, Part of the reason we started taking this mentality was all of us were able to freelance in New Orleans regularly and develop the connections to do that. So making such a small amount of money on the road on those on those smaller shows or on those less successful shows just didn't make sense for us individually. And as it started making less sense collectively, um, I mean, nowadays, to answer your question directly, Nowadays, we've been flying everywhere. We just fly to the show directly, play the show, and then fly back home. So we don't, I don't think of us as really touring anymore. We just do what I call runs. You know, we'll just go say to, we were in Ohio for what, three days uh, a few weeks ago. I guess we did drive to Pensacola and a few personal cars to do a clinic there at a university. Um, but we sold our van during COVID, didn't want to pay the insurance, didn't want to watch it depreciate. And um, at that time, I'd say what we were usually doing right about three weeks to a month at a time, although sometimes we would do five weeks and then only have a week or two off and then do another three week or five week thing. I mean, it could, it would really depend on what we wanted to take. I remember one run when we had been out on a five week run or we were in the middle of a five-week run, and then Galactic hit us up to play 
what was it like a week's worth of shows or or maybe six or seven shows over the course of 10 days completely on the opposite coast i mean we had just finished a show in pittsburgh and we had three days to get to salt lake city if i remember correctly i, I think that was the way that, that went. was a long drive yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah nebraska is so much bigger than i thought it was but um yeah, so so a lot of times that mentality was really just if it seems to make sense, let's do it. You know, a lot of a lot of throwing pasta at the wall and seeing what sticks type of type of thing. Um and, and we did hone that a little bit more before in, in the couple of years before COVID for sure, but now we've honed that even more to the point where it's really like, you know, we want to fly or we want to make it work with something that's obvious you know like we the money is right the the resources are proper you know we don't want to have to be bringing our own pa and doing our own sound at any of these shows anymore stuff like that so is that just oh yeah okay go nor i was just gonna add i would say part of it is like i feel like at least personally but i think for all of us like i have gotten sick of people saying like do this gig so you can do another gig that's better you know it's like so, after a while, I was starting to feel like, when are we just going to be offered something that's like worth doing, like because of that? You know, we have done so many things for like exposure, or basically mostly for exposure. Like, you need to go here and play for very little money to so this guy hears you and then hires you to do this. You know, and I feel like, in a way, it's like maybe we just gained a little more self confidence and feeling like, oh, we are actually already valuable and already worth something. So, like, if you want us to, you know go halfway across the country to play a gig, like make it worth our while. We're not going to, you know, get in our van and go break even to do that anymore. You know, we did that for a long time. Is that um, you getting older, more mature in general, or is it just you getting, I don't want to say burnt out or just. Oh, it's a combination of everything. I think. Yeah. I think it's like older, more mature, smarter, but then also maybe a little jaded, uh, maybe a little burnt out. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, I've been surprised, especially post-COVID, and I wonder if COVID has to do with this or not, you know, a lot of attention brought to musicians during COVID and stuff, but especially because post-COVID, I've been surprised at how often somebody will give us a figure or number, you know, to, will you play for this much in this venue in this city? And we'll say, if you double it and give us hotels, yes. And they'll be like, okay. You know, I've been surprised at the rate that that has worked. Certainly not 100%. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that, but I'm, I've just been surprised that like, if you ask for it and if you treat yourself like, no, man, this is, we, this is what we're worth. This is what we got to do to make it work. That a lot of places will, will make it work for you and want to make it work. And that's that's been a really refreshing and cool thing to see in an industry where I certainly have felt a lot of the opposite. You know, or we we all I think have felt a lot of the opposite. So, it it's been cool to see that recently for us. Again, I don't know to what degree coming out of COVID has to do with that, but it's been an exciting turn for the band for sure. Okay. Yeah, and that's been a difficult thing to to navigate. I think for us and just personally is like when you really want to do something, you know, it's easy to maybe not worry about how much you're worth or how much you should get paid. But like, I think for a long time, we felt like we couldn't really ask for more money because we're just like, we're climbing the ladder. This is how it is now. You know, it'll get better later. But then kind of as soon as we started saying, no, that's not enough. Like Sam said, a lot of times people were able to come up with more for us. So, you know, to if there are any young bands or anything out there listening, I would say, you know, like, don't don't feel like that's not an option. I mean, it's very hard to... I feel like it's hard to have a solid idea of really what you're worth because it's hard to like look at yourself that objectively. But, um, you know, I think we, I think we could have done that earlier. Um, and, and, you know, not worried so much about just like, Oh, this is the next step, but it's like, yeah, but if the next step sucks, like, is it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, no, I think you really hit the the nail on the head there, but, I think there's two things here. One, you can find yourself being exploited just because you love what you do. And that's ridiculous. But also you, you face this kind of weird, 
or at least I have faced this weird internal struggle where I love to play and I feel very confident when I'm playing. I also listen to a ton of other music and I'm like, yeah, there is a ton of great music out there. So you feel like maybe I'm not worth as much as this or that or whatever it may be. But the answer is no, we're just all worth that. You know, like the fact that there are other good bands and other great music that inspires you doesn't make you worth less. And that was something that can be an internal struggle that can kind of feed that exploitation. So when Noah said something specifically to young artists out there who may be listening, that's something I just wanted to touch on because he struck a chord with me there because it doesn't only come from outside. Sometimes it comes internally from just being genuinely like humble or, or real about loving and being inspired by other music. But just because that's out there doesn't mean your music is any less valuable. And it doesn't mean that people shouldn't pay you a wage that makes sense. And that, you know, I, I just, you struck a chord with me there, Noah, and I wanted to, to elaborate it on it a little bit before, before we left it. Okay. So what advice would you give somebody with a band coming out of a conservatory or any type of music program? The main one. That's a great question because a lot of this you can't necessarily do immediately if you don't have at least some degree of leverage. You know, it. if somebody comes to you and says, this is our standard rate for a first band, first time, and you, you know, if you play the same venue, say four or five, six times, and they're still paying you the same rate, it's a lot easier to say, hey, double it, you know, or whatever. So th there is that. It, it's definitely a balance of doing some of the stuff that doing some of the stuff that you feel like you need to do for the fan base and for love and also not accepting things that feel dirty, man. I mean, it's just like, I say go with your heart. Sometimes something, an offer just feels wrong, just feels dirty, feels like you're being done dirty. And and it's a weird balance trying to to try to, you know, make that work for yourself. I, one of one of the things I would say is rehearse a lot and rehearse individually. Like, get yourself, get the music where you want it, and and that's 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 always primary. That's always primary. Noah, can you take over here? I, I think there's some yeah. business stuff that you might be a little bit more interested no, in here. I I mean, I think it's it's hard because when you start as a young musician or a new band, you have, well, I don't want to say, you have not a lot of value, you know? So, like, we've been building our band for 11 and a half years, and maybe it's only really in the last, like, five that we're, I think, starting to get more self-confident about, like, that we do have value. Um, and it may not be the same in every market or for every person, but like there is an audience out there for us, you know? So I think it's really important to put in that initial investment period of, of like developing the band and brand and just like making sure you have a good product. But I would say if you, and that might be three years, it might be five years. I mean, it might be one year if you're like more, a more experienced group of people, but whatever that is, I would say as soon as you start to see that like you have a fan base and like if you're making money for places uh, or bringing people there, I think that's kind of when you can start to ask for more. And, you know, especially with the opening band situation, that can be hairy because it's like a really good way. It makes a lot of sense that that's how you build an audience is to open up for a band. But also, I mean, frequently the opening band is getting paid a tenth as much as the headlining band or a 20th or, yeah, you know, lucky it's like they, they very much know about their leverage and like everyone wants to open for us if we're a band that's selling out rooms, you know? So that can be, uh, that can be a tough situation. And, you know, I think, yeah, I would just say, no, you know, if you start to notice that you feel like you have value and you're bringing people out, then maybe that's a good time to start asking for a little more and don't, you know, you don't need to become an asshole or super aggressive, but, you know, it's like if, you know, if you don't ask for more, people are not going to give you more or very rarely, you know, because, yeah, you know, 
That's okay. just how it works. <laughs> so what do you think people misunderstand about the music world the, work, the most? Ooh, the most is an interesting way to phrase that. I think something <laughs> Noah just said is like, I think people don't understand that a lot of times if an offer is given to you, you can counter very politely just say, you know, we'd love to play the show. We'd love to make this work, but we'd like to counter with, you know, either more money or, or different resources or whatever it may be. That was something it certainly took me a while to understand when I was first taking gigs is a lot of times they kind of just tell you, we're offering you this gig and it pays this much. And you assume that that's the end of the conversation. You either say yes or no, but it's, it's not always like that. You know, admittedly, a lot of times they will come back and say, we're sorry, but the offer we gave you is as high as we can go. But it's extremely rare that you lose the gig by submitting a counteroffer. Again, that, as Noah just said, you don't have to be mean about it. You can be completely polite and cool and just, we're really excited to do this and all the type of language and verbiage that makes sense. But um, yeah, I think especially now musicians are really, we have, it feels like we have more power than we did when Naughty Professor started or, you know, that, that these, these gigs really do have some wiggle room. And, uh, I think, I think my answer, at least right now, especially with the topic we were just on is going to be to stand up for, for, you know, people, people don't understand that you can stand up without being, you know, pushed down. It's not like I can stand up and ask for money for more money. And they're just like, Oh, well, never mind. We're not going to do anything. It's not, you know, it is, it is a business negotiation and we can act in good faith with each other in business. It's not always as, as direct as just like, here's the offer, either say yes or no. So, so have a working relationship but with Sam, talent could that buyers, be with venue because, stuff like that. Sam, could that simply be because there's less actual live groups than there were 10 years ago and 20 years ago? Hmm. Oh. I don't think there's less. Sorry to answer Sam's no, question. Please. Okay. I think maybe after the pandemic, there's, there is, I think, maybe like a lot of bands broke up or definitely a lot of bands broke up during the pandemic. So I think maybe now there is a bit of a void. But I, don't, I would think there's more bands these days than 10 or 20 years ago. Just because, and I feel like there's more, I think because of social media and YouTube and stuff, it's like, I think people have more access to like, things that will inspire them and teach them. So I don't know. Maybe it's just that I see these like six-year-olds playing bass and sounding so good on Instagram. And I'm like, there's no <laughs> way someone could have done that like 30 years ago, you know? I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> no, I do think also the availability of recording equipment, people are able to make music in a way that I, I think there are more artists for sure. Phrased as bands, I'm interested, but I don't know if there are, like we were touching on earlier, I don't know if there are as many touring bands hitting the road and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely think there are more artists creating content. But, you know, I don't have any, any degree of accredited thesis or dissertation about this or anything, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. But that's an interesting question. You got me wondering about that now, Leander. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, we'll start with Noah on this one. If you could right. turn back time, talk to your 18-year-old self, would you talk them out of being a musician? Hell no. No, I think I'm very... I think I like it enough. You know, I've heard, uh, you know, something, something I've, something I've heard like clinicians or professionals say, you know, it's like, if you can do anything besides playing music and be happy, you should, you know? And I think that's interesting advice. Uh, I don't know that I feel that strongly, but like, I, I like it enough that I am happy working really hard and to, to make it work for me, you know? And I probably, you know, it's like, rarely probably most of us like rarely take a full day off you know it's like you have your days of a week when you're gigging and then the other days like midweek it's like you probably have rehearsals maybe you have music you need to learn i mean like i think we could probably all find jobs that paid us more to do less work but 
you know, the getting to have the experiences we get to have, just getting to work with in, with different people in different settings all the time is really cool. And I mean, the we've gotten to do some really amazing things. Uh, we've went to China, we've been to Spain, Norway, Switzerland, France, you know, Canada, we played on a cruise. Uh, we've been all around, you know, the US. Um, and those are experiences that like, you know, I don't want to do a ton of traveling forever, but also it's like, those are invaluable. And, I, you know, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Wow. Yeah, yeah there was a lot there. Um, I will say that as somebody who can be happy doing a lot of things, I am happy that I'm a musician. Noah talked about how he's seen clinicians say things, and so have I, to that effect is like if you can do literally anything else and be a happy human being go do it because music is hard and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be you know questioning yourself and your own mental health and self-value and all, all these types of things that that are definitely true you know without a doubt but i haven't found something that in my mind increases the beauty in the world more than and i'm really thrilled to be a part of that i uh, sam you gotta repeat that i lost you oh no problem <laughs> uh well maybe some problem because i was just talking from the heart but let me see oh, <laughs> my bad. i was saying i was basically saying that i play music because to me it is a representation of the most beautiful thing on earth, which is the idea of people coming together to create something that they couldn't create alone. And, and that's in my view, just, just indescribably beautiful in terms of humanity, in terms of the concept of, of continuation of, of what it means to be human and, and, and any art, is is a beautiful thing in that way. It really, really can be a, a gorgeous representation of what it means to be human. But I, I appreciate. I, I it really is a thrill to me to participate in that experience. Re really, on any level, and I feel very lucky to have been able to have the experiences that I've been able to have in music. And it has taken me places that I would have never gone without it. You know, literally, geographically. Um, some of the places Noah just said, and and I've been really lucky to extend certain trips. You know, when we were in Spain, actually Noah and I both went to Morocco for a while because we were there for work. And when we went to China, I stayed a little extra to hang out and see some stuff I wouldn't get to see without it. And it really has opened me up in a way that I wouldn't have without it. It also, music reinforces really good just person habits you know you work on short and long-term goals when you're practicing when you're learning songs there's stuff about just being a, a person in everyday life that i'm really glad that music taught me would could i have gotten those lessons other elsewhere yeah of course of course but i was really glad to get them from a place like music despite the frustration that it can bring and and you know it's funny i i teach now and i see these kids get like so mad at themselves for not being able because they understand this beat in their head, but they can't play it. And I remember getting so mad at myself when that would happen. You get like so frustrated and so tense. And I wish I could go back to my 18 or 14 or 10 year old or whatever self and say, look, man, it's just not that big of a deal. Like the tightness in your blood and the frustration, it just doesn't need to be there. And there's enough frustrations that are going to come from trying to make this your living that you don't need to add stress and frustrations to the act of getting better. You know, that can just be a personal pursuit and something that is continually inspiring and exciting within yourself. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't go back to 18 and tell myself to not be a musician. You know, I would tell myself there are a lot of options in this world and you should follow your heart, but I definitely would not tell myself to not be a musician. Okay. And one more. If you could remove all barriers and constraints, what type of project would you guys make and who would be on it? 
Well, that's a good question. So, first of all, multiple projects for no, sure. No, 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 one. <laughs> Sony gave you one album, budgetless. Budgetless, no limit on the budget. Yeah, whatever. Oh, whoa. I don't, it's tough to even foreseeably put one, just one project together if it's, if the op and options are, are limitless. Whoa. No, are you having any immediate thoughts here? Well, I guess one of, maybe it's a lame answer, but uh, my first thought was we actually have a, another project in the works, which is pretty exciting to me. And, the some of the people we have involved in it are really exciting to me. Uh, the unlimited budget thing is definitely not the case, you know. So, um, <laughs> like, I I would say, I feel really fortunate. I think we all do that. We've gotten to we've gotten to collaborate with some of the most amazing musicians in the world and people that some people that that at least I've been listening to since before I moved to New Orleans. You know, people that I've been like a fan of for a long time. So. Um, I feel really fortunate for that. And we've figured out a way to do it, you know, with our budget. I mean, back in the day, it was just like not paying ourselves really anything and putting most of the, the money towards like recording expenses. You know, these days we're trying to be a little more calculated and smarter about it. Um, just like working on a budget and finding like where where do we really need to spend the money to have the best and where can we for lack of a better term, caught a corner and get away with it, you know? Um, so I don't know if that's really an answer, but I will say the unlimited budget thing would be awesome because it would be really cool to go and spend, you know, like a couple weeks in a studio. Uh, we've never done that uh, for this. You know, we recorded about half of this project I'm talking about about a year ago, and that was in like two or and a half days, you know, but it would, it would be really cool to go to, you know, a destination studio and just set up for a couple of weeks, like you hear of people doing back in the day, you know? Yeah, I think that's the thing in the past in general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. that, that would be an incredible experience. That would be an absolutely amazing. I, I think with absolutely no limitations, I'd want to create something a little bit more experimental. You know, I think it would be cool to do some stuff that mm, plays with time and harmony, especially in a way that, I mean, I always love hearing stuff that I've never heard before. And I think one of the limitations of growing a fan base is that the vast majority of music listeners enjoy hearing things that they have some degree of a context for, that they at least can place themselves in an understanding of, of, the feeling of the music. Um, and I'm taking your, your proposition as meaning limitations being including your fan base, meaning that they're not a limitation either. So to that degree, I'd be really interested. And I know this would, you know, in reality make a much, much, much smaller fan base, but I'd be really interested in creating stuff that, I mean, you know, I come up with, with what I call beat of the day every day. And a lot of times I have no idea what time signature it is. I have a student who's going to Berkeley next year. Sometimes I come to him and I'm like, I just came up with this. This was my beat of the day a couple of days ago. Can you tell me what time signature this is in? And he'll sit there and try to count it out. And we'll kind of try to figure out stuff together. And the point of, of what I'm getting at is that that's a lot of stuff that when, when you're coming up with it on your own without thinking about anything, and it's just from the heart, but you don't even know what it is, that's a really exciting place to be. And my project would live in that world. I'm just going to put it that way. Um, I don't know who would be involved necessarily, but I would like to get into a world that's more, you know, I've always thought that where Naughty Professor is and where the like pop music world even is, is, is really not as far apart as, as, we like to make it seem, you know, there, there's a lot of I mean, traditional harmony that has extensions or rhythmic structure that is just displaced a little bit or inverted or something like that. But how heavy are and, you going and, to invert it? 
Because it sounds like you're going to bring up like swinging in 10, 11 or something or, like that. So things like this. Yeah, exactly. That's I, the project. If I had absolutely no limitations, I would embrace that idea musically as well. That'd be interesting. At least for me. I don't know about the average person. <laughs> okay, no problem. Well, at least tell us about your next coming gigs and then... We'll wrap this up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming up, you know, we're very much looking forward to uh, what looks like the first, you know, proper festival season in New Orleans in uh, a solid, I guess, three years. Um, so we got French Quarter Fest coming up. We got Jazz Fest, uh, you know, and both those festivals have been canceled the last two years and they happen. Well, now they're about to happen actually back to back. So French Quarter Fest, it one week, then two weeks of Jazz Fest. But, you know, in general, the spring in New Orleans, kind of March through maybe June, is always a really exciting, busy time. There's festivals almost every weekend. You know, it's the best time to visit New Orleans. And it tends to be, like, when we are probably working the most. Um, and there's nothing quite like getting to play at the Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Um, and that's something we've been lucky enough to do maybe five times before. But, uh, you know, we'll be there this year. Um, and we might have a few tour dates this summer, but they're kind of still getting locked down. Sam, do we have anything else I'm forgetting about? Oh, the broadside, I guess. Yeah, I just wanted to add that the Good Things EP release show is one that I'm really excited about. It'll be at a venue in New Orleans called the Broadside that opened during COVID. It's open air. It's a really, really beautiful and fun venue to play at. And, and the Good Things EP as a whole is something that I'm just excited about coming out. It's It's been a weird time during COVID for all of us, so it feels nice to embrace a project that we're able to release. It feels like a good thing. Good Things come in three. There are three songs on the EP, and they are all named after things that come in threes. You may know, That's how Rush Hour, the song that just got released, is actually named after the movie franchise with Jackie Chan Boom. and Chris Tucker. That's because it comes in threes. They're making a fourth one. one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that's about it. I mean, the, that show is one that I'm really excited about. Noah already mentioned the festival season in New Orleans is always a blast. So very excited about that. And just, you know, thrilled about what might be upcoming in terms of the the good things EP further shows and further records that that we'll be having it's a it's a new dawn in this you know shows opening back up after I don't want to say after covid but you know in an area where where the country is is more available to musicians and I'm excited about what that holds for us okay well can you guys give us your social media your website, your social media, all that stuff, uh, how to find you. <laughs> yeah, so um, our website is naughtyprofessormusic.com. Um, man, I always feel like an idiot. I have to look this stuff up. Our uh, Instagram is naughty underscore professor. Right, Sam? Um, <laughs> That's yeah. why I pointed to you. Yeah, it is. And our Facebook is... Uh, Facebook.com slash NPFunk. Let me just make sure that's right. Yeah. And my personal Instagram is this is your brain on drums. I'm Sam Shaheen, and that's the <laughs> handle. And mine is much less creative. My Instagram is Noah Young Bass. <laughs> Easier to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you guys once again for coming on the show. It means a lot. Well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, really thanks for having it, us, man. It's been a blast. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great day, man. Yeah, peace, man. Thank you. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>